Good now to you listeners. Today I'm joined by a legendary beach dad, surf bro psychonaut, and bona fide cryptocurrency expert. I can say that because he's been paid for it. As well as a good friend of mine, Stevie Ewald. We're going to be talking crypto, quantum, and some other nonsense. So stick around. Welcome to Schizotopia. Um, today, I'm talking to my good friend Stevie about cryptocurrency. Stevie, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, man. How are you? Sorry, I have a little bit of a bad connection here or something. No, it's no problem. Um, so, you wrote a book about cryptocurrencies. Could you? Could I you, did. Uh, could you tell me, if, if I'm someone who knows absolutely nothing about cryptocurrencies, could you give me the, the breakdown for the layman? Yeah. Um, so I wrote an ebook called The Ultimate Guide to Altcoins for this company called Abra, which not a plug, but it's a pretty cool app. You can buy a bunch of different altcoins and a bunch of different stuff. But uh, I'd say cryptocurrency is what most people think of. They'll think of Bitcoin or maybe blockchain, but basically, and some sort of verification. So, um, you know, there's there's different types of verification, proof of work, proof of stake, which basically all that means lists decentralized network that uses a lot of currencies are already digital. Um, you know, it's just numbers moving back and forth. Uh, what the credit card company will do or a Visa or a PayPal, the reason that they're in the middle of the transaction when you go to the gas station or something like that and there's a fee is they're verifying that transaction for you and helping to back it in the sense that um, they're verifying you haven't spent that money twice. So I go to the gas station, I scan my debit card <clears throat> and the gas station says, okay, this is going to cost you $2. Visa says, okay, we're checking his account, $2 there. We have $2 for you. And he can't go and go to the next gas station and spend that $2 in the same time. So what blockchain did is the blockchain is the, the central technology behind cryptocurrency um, and behind, you know, a lot of blockchain uh, protocols that are grouped under cryptocurrency, but might not just deal with spending money. Um, what it allows you to do is you have an, um, it uses good cryptography and encryption and a consensus protocol where everybody shares the same distributed ledger and has a record of every transaction on there. And then it uses various methods to verify that <clears throat> so people can help out and help uh, verify the transactions and they're rewarded for doing that in a cryptographically secure way. Um, and basically it cuts the middleman out of the process to make sure that you can't spend the same, uh, same amount of money twice in two places, which was always, you know, there's, well, because I'll, I'll be wrap up a little bit. <laughs> but every, every single um, Bitcoin transaction contains the entire history of Bitcoin. 
or any right. cryptocurrency. So that's, that's the blockchain. So a blockchain is just a huge chain of transactions that everybody's agreeing upon. Mm-hmm. And as long as everybody shares that same, it's just a big distributed ledger. Then whenever you use Bitcoin, for you're adding or appending to that ledger and then everybody on the network is agreeing to it and it's, it's solidifying it. So it's like written in stone. Mm-hmm. And then all the people that are verifying the transactions are called miners are using, you know, various cryptographically secure methods, whether they're using computer energy to solve difficult problems or whether there's a, a distributed stake where everybody's nodes and it says that, uh, you know, enough verified people say basically that the, the transaction's legit, then everybody shares that same, um, that same ledger. So it does solve, which is a huge problem in economics. They've come up with the idea of bit gold, like Bitcoin, digital cash. Cypherpunks, uh, cypherpunks rather, came up with that like 20 years ago or something. But they could never have the digital double spend problem. Um, and then it also solves just a huge computer uh, science problem called the Byzantine generals problem, which is if you don't have every node talking to each other, how can you know that you can all trust each other? Um, and it developed a way to establish consensus um, without everybody having to trust each other. So blockchain of itself was a revolution in um, computer science and in uh, economics. And Bitcoin is the most, um, I guess, recognizable and the biggest output from that uh, solution, which was solved. I mean, the white paper came out in 2008. It's like eight pages long and we've seen what it's done since. Wait, what, what, what did the white paper solve exactly? <clears throat> so the white paper, Shitoshi Nakamoto, anonymous person nobody knows who it was there's been a ton of speculation since the white paper basically laid out uh the protocol for creating a blockchain which was the blockchain itself wasn't necessarily an entirely new idea but it came together in a way using proof of work which says that you need to have enough uh kind of nodes on the network trying to solve these um, kind of arbitrary computer problems like really difficult math problems and if you have enough people participating in that, it's hard to have somebody crack that as long as you have the majority using computing power to, to try and keep it secure. So like you need if you want to use this blockchain. It took some ideas. I, I forget the guy's name, Nick, uh, gosh, I forget his name, uh, Nick Zybo or something like that. So he came up with the idea of digital gold or uh, Bitgold. I forget what it's called, Bitcash or something. But it didn't solve that double spend problem. It wasn't a truly decentralized, trustless network. And so the white paper, which you can pull it up, you can read it. It's a pretty quick read. White paper outlines basically how to set that up, how to get the node started, how to get the blockchain building. And then um, um, Satoshi Nakamoto went ahead and started the uh, parts of the blockchain themselves. And then he was just able to step away. Nobody's heard from him. And you know, 10, 15, 10 or 12 years, or whatever it's been. Um, and people just kind of took the idea and ran with it. Hmm. Um, so what exactly is the halvening and why does it matter? The halvening is an event that's taken place a few times. And basically when somebody's mining Bitcoin, um, I'll try to keep it like high level because it's, it's, this took me, I don't know, it took me, I feel like years to totally understand um, before I was able to, really understand blockchain and Bitcoin, but the happening is it has to do with the difficulty of mining a new block. So there's different blocks on the blockchain and to mine a new block, to create a new block 
which means a bunch of verified transactions that everybody on the network that you need to agree says, this is legit, add it to the blockchain, everybody update their ledgers, you know, across need to have miners working to verify these transactions and like crack problems that keep it secure. And when they do so, the, the way that the blockchain is kept secure and the way that it keeps growing and everything is miners are incentivized for helping secure the network, for verifying transactions. So when somebody mines a new block, it creates a new Bitcoin um, and that reduces every few years or there's like a, a set um, kind of deflationary metric where every few years one, it'll cut the reward that you get for creating a new block of Bitcoin, um, it'll cut that in half. So they call it the halvening, so to speak. And what that does is it's um, intentionally, intentionally deflationary. There's going to be less and less Bitcoin until we get to the point where there's 21 million Bitcoin. Um, and we'll probably, you know, for right now, we need the same energy, the same kind of resources to produce Bitcoin, mm-hmm. but the rule is less. So there's, there's less of an incentive to create new Bitcoin, which in theory should keep uh, Bitcoin from becoming like the dollar, which is inflationary. We can just print more and more. With Bitcoin, there's deliberately less and less. Uh, So would you say that in a way, Bitcoin kind of becomes like a new gold standard? I've heard it argued this way many times. Yeah, I mean, that's the idea. People talk about Bitcoin as digital gold. Um, I think that the the, comparison is valid in the sense that it operates like gold i think it's designed to be like digital gold it's it's meant to be a store of value um i don't think they've really we've really figured out how to make bitcoin very usable for buying like a cup of coffee or something like that it takes mm-hmm. too long to send um it's deliberately difficult to to send and transact so just bring a shop i don't think it's un- or gold coin for example i don't think it's unreasonable to say bitcoin doesn't have to be used like that um, but it's fluid enough and it's uh, usable enough and transmutable enough and everything that I think it's a really good store of value. Um, I think that it's designed to be deflationary like gold. It's designed to be kind of a safe haven and basically a plan B. I think that what Bitcoin came out of was in 2008, we realized, yeah, you could buy gold, but I can't send gold to somebody around the world. Um, it's an arcane technology has lasted for this long, but it just doesn't really have a place in modern society. So I think Bitcoin was kind of designed to be like emailable gold, gold that I could instant or quickly send to somebody any, anywhere in the world and securely the, the comparison is very fair and valid. In terms of it being a safe haven, I think that the be seen, I think that historically over the last 12 years, um, it's proven to, to be that, you know, in times of turmoil in Venezuela, Times of economic unrest um, seems to seems to be operating like a safe haven most of the time. Recently, uh, I think that's been challenged a little bit as the stock market went down. Uh, Bitcoin got knocked down with it. I don't know if that was people just you know cashing out of positions and trying to pull out of Bitcoin their riskier investments to try and cover their losses, um, mm-hmm. or if they just are pulling out, getting into cash, whatever. It's kind of unprecedented for Bitcoin, um, but it's held up pretty well. I mean, it's recovered. It's breaking ten thousand now. Um, it seems to be fairly stable, but stock markets recovered a bit too. Um, so the thing that I really wanted to get into though, is that would it technically be oh, possible? Face, by the way, I can't see you. Huh? Oh, I'm not, I haven't been, I, I'm not. Uh, I can't uh, see, I can't see your video. 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not using my video, bro. You just like just anonymous. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I I think that the connection runs a little bit smoother if it's just audio. All right, you need to do like some kind of avatar or something, just like an anonymous face. Like, <laughs> I think I'll well maybe I'll get a maybe I'll put my logo up on that um, next time. But yeah, the thing okay. the thing the thing, that I, the thing that I wanted to get to is uh, is uh, is it possible to build a cryptocurrency based on something that isn't math? Or let me put it this way: Could you quantify human behaviors or other interactions online and turn that into a blockchain? Is that possible? <clears throat> yeah, totally. I mean, basically, a blockchain. All a blockchain is, in essence, it's it isn't limited just to currencies. Um, you don't have to be solving these difficult cryptographic math problems to verify transactions and stuff. Um, a lot of stuff out there, there's blockchains for art, there's blockchains to verify diamonds. For some reason, my music keeps playing. It's playing this Daft Punk song. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't know, I keep triggering that. Um, a blockchain is just a big distributed ledger. Um, so there's going to be a it use some kind of consensus protocol, whether you're using math to solve that or another, uh, it's called proof of work, another protocol, proof of stake, where you just have a bunch of different trusted nodes on the network. They reach a consensus and they say, okay, this is blockchain is a long list of information connected to each other. Um, so if you want to like establish provenance for art on diamonds, um, there's a lot, lot of stuff that you can do with it, whether you could do it without math. I'm not really sure. I mean, it, it's a, you're still going to, it's, it's, it's still made it down or not. Um, what do you mean by that? What do you mean? Like, well, so, so I, I, I have an idea, um, where, I come up with some kind of algorithm that logs uh, that logs people's emotional labor that they perform online and somehow yeah. quantifies that into these geometric fractals that could um, be attributed <laughs> uh, value yeah. through a blockchain. So my, my point, I, I, I've called it the feelings dividend. I think I might also call it simp coin, but I would yeah. just, in, in your, in your professional um, uh, cryptocurrency expertise, uh, is such a thing possible could could we use crypto <laughs> could we use crypto to quantify human emotions yeah i would just i would uh i would caution calling it crypto maybe could you use blockchain technology to quantify human emotions and reward as the basis um math and you're using um electricity you're using computers that use electricity to try and solve difficult math problems to verify transactions. Um, you're ultimately taking electricity and running it through a computer and using that for proof of work. But you could use a different input and you could use whatever input you want. You could use people's emotions, you could use people's interactions online, you could use the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. I mean, you could use honestly whatever you want as long as you had a way of tracking it and inputting it in a trusted way into the blockchain. So it gets difficult, you'd have to have a centralized I don't think it'd be truly decentralized. You'd have to have a central party that tracks people's whatever emotions, uh, sentiment online, and then 
distributes that out as kind of the currency or as the capital, if that's what you're getting at. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe the maybe then like the NSA and Facebook and Google could all team up. They come up with the perfect algorithm for quantifying people's emotions online, yeah. and then uh, and then uh, through all of their data mining we can then redistribute, we can get a fraction of our emotional value or emotional labor back from, from this organization. Like in terms of like when you like a post or you engage or you like um, are interacting on a social media yeah, platform? My, my, my idea was like just anything, anything that could possibly, um, any form of emotional labor that could be extrapolated from all of yeah. our posts and texts and everything we do online. Like even this, even this conversation right now and even the reactions yeah. of people listening to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, uh, uh, there's a social network called steam it. The are you familiar with steam or steam it? I'm not. Coin, steam I'm not. Network. Yeah. So check that out. There's steam it. Um, and what steam it does is or something and you accumulate steam, which is a cryptocurrency as a result of that. <clears throat> so I think that might be exactly what you're talking about. It's a pretty cool platform. Um, people are making money on it. The, the currency itself is doing well. Um, wait, wait, I'm sorry. How do you- to kind of be rewarded. Okay, how, how, uh, I, I think you dropped that a little bit. How do you earn uh, Steam coins? You post anything, like you would post anything like you would on a normal social network. So there's like a lot of written articles and tutorials and stuff like that. Um, images, videos, whatever. So it's just like a bare bones uh, Facebook or um, like a, a, a medium maybe. Like there's a lot of longer form articles. And when people like your post, you accumulate Steam coin, which the company generates. And they have like a certain stockpile of it, I believe. Um, I don't think it's mined or anything. I think they have a big stockpile of Steam and then they distribute it. Do you, do you gain um, Steam coins from only positive interactions or can you gain Steam coins from negative interactions? I don't think there there's like positive. I don't think it's like emotional like that. I think that like, I think if people read it, if they say that they, I think they give you like a thumbs up or something. I think they're basically saying, give this person some currency for, for doing it's stri it. It's strictly positive then. I think it's not, so, yeah. It's not punitive. Uh, okay, so but that, that actually I mean, unless seems... You, unless you saw negative content that you liked and you wanted to see more of it, so you said, like, keep writing this bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but um, th th there's no dislike option. Um, I don't think so. Th that seems that. almost close to, to my vision of a fully quantified um, um, uh, uh, emotional labor currency, but not well, quite. We, well, we, how, would, how would yours differ? Well, mine would be, mine would be, um, I, I was thinking, you know, you, you get some dividend back for any type of emotion, positive or negative. It would just be that the algorithm yeah. would work in such a way that the more involved your um, interaction and the more, yeah. uh, and the better documented it is, that this somehow adds yeah. up to giving it more, more overall value. So there would still be yeah. a free market yeah. of emotions. There would be things, there would be value. amount of it. Right, there would be there would be value generated by both negative and positive emotions. I, I'm, I'm thinking that it would still be pro-social in the sense that um, I think yeah. positive interactions are more involved than negative ones. But maybe yeah. I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't know. It's yeah. It's just does this. It reads an article or if you interact with it at all. But basically, I think the idea behind what you're saying. 
sorry. You still on? Yeah. I think it's Apple Music that's trying to open up. Get the heck out of here. Very unprofessional of me. Um, I think the idea being that you're taking people's time or energy or engagement or whatever, but it's, it's basically people's energy. They're, they're doing something. They have a limited amount of it. Um, if you could find a way to was like verified where it wouldn't be like, you couldn't have a bot do it. You know, that would be the, the security side of it that you'd need to figure out. But even still, even if you were running bots, I mean, that takes energy. You're basically take you're you're replacing what's used with Bitcoin, which is computer energy, and replacing it with human energy, which is really interesting. And there's some more like abstract versions of that. Like Brave is a browser where I think you accumulate um, some kind of cryptocurrency for just using it, and it's almost akin to like where you used to sign up for like some browser that showed you ads and you used to get like get paid. Ultimately, you're taking currency and you're turning that into the standard by which there's a finite limited amount of a, a cryptocurrency that's tied to it, as opposed to an inflationary currency where like the Federal Reserve in the US just prints more dollars. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. But why would the, um, I, I, could you have inflation with human emotions? Well, I mean, you can't just like print more emotion, right? But I, I'm I'm thinking that however you set up this uh, blockchain or uh, however you, however you set up um, this currency, uh, it would change the value would change radically around um, any kind of political uh, controversy or national tragedy or anything like that. Any kind of public outrage, I think, would affect the value expressing more emotion right yeah i don't know it's still kind of abstract i'm not sure i understand it completely <laughs> i don't think i do either well but i mean like energy expenditure is a finite currency and a cryptocurrency doesn't have to be deflationary you could have there's cryptocurrencies where they create more you know i think even some of the ones that we're talking that i was talking about they create more and they give it out or sometimes they'll just give some companies will give crypto away for free and just say it's worth this much they'll use it but ultimately you're taking people's energy which is a finite currency finite resource and you're turning that into some method that uh connects back to the value of the currency uh, how you would do that i mean it's pretty exotic but who knows dude well maybe uh i haven't read the white papers you have do you think there's anything in there that could be instructive in in how to properly quantify human emotions <clears throat> yeah i mean i would read the bitcoin white paper it's a that's a quick one i would read the Ethereum white paper too. Ethereum like kind of tried to be, um, you can use uh, cryptocurrency to kind of be like an operating system. So instead of just solving money, you can use it to like build decentralized apps and then to have the processing power to run those apps, people are rewarded for, um, for participating in that. In terms of emotion, I don't know, man, it's probably out there. I mean, last I checked, there's like over... I want to say over like 4,000 cryptocurrencies. 
And some of them are just insane. I mean, Dogecoin is one that's super well known and it was just meant to be used as a joke really. And then people started using it to tip for memes and stuff. And then it ended up being worth like fucking million dollars and <laughs> and actually like talked about on like CNBC and stuff. So there's no telling what the limitations of it are because it's all brand new. And there and there there isn't a real limitation to blockchain other than the sense that a bunch of packets of information connected together and you have some sort of distributed for agreeing what's what so what you use as the input or the output or what you're um, associating back to in terms of what gives it value um figure out a way to quantify human emotion you could easily tie that into value of the currency you could tie that into the supply of the you could plug that into any of the variables as an input for how the currency works well, um, maybe now I'm going to have to talk to a psychologist, but hopefully uh, you've moved us a little bit closer. <laughs> I would to talk getting, to a psych- Getting the feelings dividend. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Stevie, now that we covered some of the, the uh, noob aspects of, um, of crypto, I was hoping we could get into the more intermediate advanced stuff. Yeah, definitely. So in your very professional opinion, uh, what do you think the, the future <laughs> of cryptocurrencies are? I think that you're going to, I think you've seen it right now. I think that you're going to see um, state mandated digital currencies. <clears throat> like I think there's going to be a digital yuan. <laughs> I know that there's, there's something moving through. They tried to put it through the legislature for the COVID bailout, the creation of a digital U.S. currency. What? Um, how did there I miss some, this? Yeah, there was some shit in there. It's like um, that bill was like 80,000 pages long. <laughs> mm-hmm. They tried to put something through. Or the Democrats tried to put it through and they quickly backtracked on it. But <clears throat> I mean, the thing that I would keep in mind is we don't use paper money anyway. So currency is already digital. Um, it's verified by these, mostly these private companies like PayPal and Visa and whatever. Um, so the only thing that makes it different is the verification step. But I mean, even whether the the government, the Federal Reserve is printing paper, which is in the future has no place or just adding zeros to the end of something, uh, it's ultimately all completely arbitrary. So I think that if there's a a position where the government can get involved, they will with digital currency. And we're going to have to, at least in the U.S., to stay competitive with China. (laughs) I think that China is really, really keenly advancing it. and at the same time, firmly cracking down on the freely distributed trustless networks. They obviously need to be in control of it. And <clears throat> aside from that, I think that you're going to see kind of pri- these weird private uh, hybrid vehicles. Like, I don't know if you've heard of Ripple and XRP as their token, but they have this like centrally controlled. Uh, digital currency and it's used mostly for like remittances and cross-border payments and they have a ton of banks signed up Um, I think if you follow the kind of the the corporate money side of things their idea is instead of using a totally distributed trustless network they have certain trusted nodes so they'll have big banks and companies and holdings and universities or whatever and they create this consensus network of of these really highly powered concentrated nodes Um, antithetical to the ethos of blockchain obviously um but i think you'll see 
in our market, I think you'll see something like that rise up. Maybe not Ripple, um, something like that, some kind of weird corporate hybrid thing, and then you'll you'll see the government get on board. Um, I don't think it'll I don't think it'll challenge Bitcoin though, or whatever the you know, I think I think it'll be Bitcoin, but whatever the preeminent leader is just because it's i mean it's the first global money so you can have you can create a digital dollar that's verified by blockchain but ultimately it's just it's difficult to compete with something on a global scale as a government and i think there's just a huge demand for it um in terms of being a, a true a true reserve currency a true backup currency i should say i think that bitcoin was designed to be um the plan b and i think we're seeing plan a fail mm-hmm. um I know that Russia tried to crack down on cryptocurrency. I remember seeing some uh, melodramatic, maybe partially staged videos of uh, Russian police uh, beating up hackers and taking their computers. (laughs) But um, some footage from like hackers, the movie, like exactly Russian dub. Like, Um, but but do you do you think it's possible that uh, uh, anonymous cryptocurrency could be banned or completely? superseded by a state crypto the only way you could supersede it by a state crypto is if it in a in a free or somewhat free market if it um offers something more competitive and and better i mean the internet and darpa and tor and all these technologies that we love and use today came out of government contracts government defense Mm -hmm. contracts and working with the navy or universities or whatever so I don't think it's totally inconceivable they could come up with something good. Um, I'm sure they're already working on that. Again, I see some kind of collusion between the banks and the government, big tech companies uh, stepping around monopolies to create this huge, weird, private, public hybrid thing. Um, I just, I don't see it. I, I think that there's a big enough demand for the for a, a cryptocurrency in a company being or i'm sorry in a country being the, the alternative so when the state is corrupt or the, the economy is unstable or it's in the favor of bankers and not people or whatever it might be i think that you'll see the stability found in the cryptocurrency that's not in the state currency whatever that might be in the state of things right now i don't i don't see that being any less attractive um i also see I don't know. I mean, there's potential for crackdowns. The thing about cryptocurrency and blockchain is it's like you, you can't turn it off. I mean, the genie's out of the bottle. You start one packet of information and somebody else copies it and it spreads like a mimetic virus or something. Um, in the sense that once it gets out, you can just create new ones. So like the government could never shut down Bitcoin. If they somehow figured out a way to shut it down or make it illegal, um, <clears throat> you could just create a new fork which is where you append the blockchain and instead of everybody saying, hey, this is the chain that we're following, it forks into a new chain and people stop using that one and start using the new one, which is ultimately where all these alternative cryptocurrencies have come off of, is forks from the original Bitcoin blockchain, basically. Um, yeah, it just, it's, it's, it's difficult to call because it's still evolving so organically, but um, I, at this point, I don't think it could ever be stopped. It'll just hop up and keep multiplying. Well, my my entire life, every um, crazy conspiracy theorist I've ever known has told me that the government wants to eliminate uh, paper money or anonymous money. Um, but with the cash, 
yeah, wants wants to get rid of wants to get rid of cash, wants to get rid of the yeah. gold standard. Um, yeah, I mean that's still where the black market runs on is the U.S. dollar, cash. Right, right, and so I just I wonder because on one hand, um, cryptocurrency is cashless; it's a digital currency, but it's also anonymous. <clears throat> Yeah. Um, and I could see the government coming in and uh, getting involved and saying, oh, you know what? We, we love this idea of digital currency. That's great. But we, we, mm-hmm. we still want to monopolize it. Yeah, there's there's some interesting stuff like. Um, God, what was it called? My memory's fa- failing me on some of these older um, anonymous cryptocurrencies, but stuff like Dash even has Dash is like digital cash. It's supposed to be easy to spend, but it has nice layers of privacy. Um, there's some really interesting projects out there that provide really, really strong anonymity. Um, and like VeChain, and they kind of haven't caught on that much because they haven't been that necessary, but there's really, really strong private coins, they're kind of called. Um, but it's just, it's, there's not enough demand for it right now. And in terms of the U.S. government getting on board, I mean, an interesting thing to think about is the U.S. government is one of the largest holders of Bitcoin, or at least they were since they, they, um, when they seized all the stuff from the Silk Road. Um, so what amount of those they still hold, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure they auctioned them off. And the U.S. government has definitely held as much Bitcoin as almost anybody, and they've sold and profited it, which is huh. really interesting because they're providing value and giving it value and use case by selling these huge amounts of it and giving it legitimacy and accepting money for it. Like the only way that Bitcoin has money is if somebody trades and accepted value for it, whether it's gold or dollar or whatever. And the U.S. government doing that and establishing precedent for auctioning them off means that they acknowledge they have value. I guess, I guess I'm just imagining like a doomsday scenario where you know how like China has this social credit system um, where if you, if, if you upset the party, they they um, basically turn your uh, bank account off. But it, it's yeah. like you, it wouldn't be hard to imagine um, uh, a system where you your your social credit is tied to the value of your blockchain. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. I this mean, gets I could back definitely... into the quantifying uh, human emotions. Yeah, I mean. It's um, the whole credit score system so weird anyways. I could totally see a, a system that was built in that or where some kind of lending and interest is built automatically into it. Um, the only way that you could, you'd have to create a new one though. And like you'd have to go into a different coin and get people, a different blockchain and get people to adopt it and use it, which I mean, the government couldn't, isn't very good at releasing software and getting people to use stuff like if they can't figure out a healthcare system, they can't figure out voting. There's no way they could figure out how to put out a good blockchain. In my opinion, it's just too nuanced. They just, they, mm-hmm. they don't understand what 330 million people want, obviously right. maybe at a smaller level, at a local level. Um, but yeah, I mean, to control it, you'd have to turn off the internet. And even then, you know, you could just build mesh nets, you could build local networks where the blockchain hopped around locally. Um, a little bit of a, a tangent, but what do you think about the idea of trying to use blockchain for um, voting security? I think it's a good idea. I think that voting through mail or online is pretty secure to begin with. I think that fraud, I mean, I'm not an expert on this or anything, but I, I think there's more use cases for fraud for being able to hack a, um, a voting machine 
than even somebody voting online. I mean, my mentality has been if we can bank online, you can vote online. And the use case for not spending something more than once, basically, I'm going to transmit this bit of information and I need this, uh, this system to verify that I haven't sent it elsewhere. Um, it, it perfectly translates, in my opinion, to currency and voting. It's like I need to have this one thing and I need to transfer it here and I need to be able to verify with full transparency that everybody can see without parties having to trust each other or without even a central party um, confirming it that everybody is aware that my vote only went here and it didn't go anywhere else. So the double spend problem, I think it'd be applied to the double vote problem. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a ton of people trying to work on this. I think it has applications for local democracy. Again, like I could see a startup working with their, their local city government to just, you know, vote on ordinances or whatever. And every person has a unique ID tied to some kind of wallet and you can spend your cryptocurrency votes, so to speak, however you want. I think we just need to see use cases like that pop up. There's not any that I know yet, but there's certainly, there's certainly a lot of people working on that. Um, and I think it's a perfect application. Well, so uh, I, I, I don't see any reason why you couldn't have a public database. And so when you voted online, you would get, um, uh, you'd have an ID number and you could log on and make sure that your vote is the vote that you actually cast. Yeah. And I mean, like Andrew Yang has talked about just building some kind of citizenship portal that everybody can get access to and have everything in one place. So if you have some kind of ID, <clears throat> again, I think this gets down to the local level where... I don't know how you verify that people are who they say they are, but um, I mean, how do we verify when they vote now? You bring like a driver's license and you sign, right, with a signature. So if you had some way of doing that, um, again, it gets kind of dystopian because then you're like, oh, well, then there's real ID or do you tie it to your fingerprint or your eye scan, <laughs> whatever. But it, nothing is less secure than how we currently do it, which is having people go to a church or a library or somebody's garage and punch these little pieces of paper and they look at your driver's license and then make sure your signature matches. I mean, I mean, to me, that's the right. least secure thing I could ever think of. <laughs> well, the, <laughs> what I guess what captures my imagination, what even boggles my mind a little bit is that if you really had a fully secure voting app um, yeah. that anyone with a social security number could go on to, um, mm-hmm. uh, imagine how that would affect a voter turnout. Right. So this I mean, is probably being suppressed. <laughs> well, yeah. Can you imagine what uh, what an American election would look like if you had like actually ninety nine percent voter turnout mm-hmm. of, of, of eligible voters? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it seems like it would sway towards Democrats, but I wonder if there's even potential for uh, instant runoff voting and third party candidates and stuff. Um, the the reason I, again that I stress that I think it's important is every participant in the network can verify every transaction in the network for every other participant at all times without having to trust each other. Mm-hmm. And if that's not the definition of democratic transparency, I don't know what is. Um, a blockchain and Bitcoin and all this, it's the first time there's been a truly secure global network. It's the most secure network, I think, of all time. Um, more secure than anything that Amazon or Google or Facebook or whatever, the biggest computer networks in the world have ever built. And the internet, when it was built, keep in mind, the internet was built in a fundamentally insecure fashion Mm -hmm. where you have to trust the other parties. Um, 
And so a trustless network hasn't existed before. Um, so, I mean, you could just go down the list. The use cases for what blockchain can do. Um, there's a reason why there's 4,000 cryptocurrencies. They're not all just random you know, indulgences. Um, well, this is, uh, now I want to get kind of um, way in over our heads and talk a little bit about quantum computing. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a good, a good topic. Because G- Google supposedly attained quantum supremacy. I don't even fully understand what that means myself. But yeah. what what's interesting to me is that... It w- would it be possible um, to build a computer uh, powerful enough to hack the blockchain? Yeah, totally. And I think a quantum computer could do that. Um, Bitcoin, you, you got to realize though. So yeah, like Google has a lot of smart people. I think they've achieved quantum supremacy, presumably China will too. Um, there's projects that are like Qtum, Q-T-U-M, quantum is a, a crypto that's supposed to be um, quantum ready. Um, but like most of the best developers and the smartest people, I mean, Bitcoin is such a huge network of developers and contributors and stuff like that, that maybe they don't have as much raw money and brain power and stuff as, as Google, but there's so many really, really smart people working on Bitcoin that as soon as it becomes a demand, as soon as it looks like, okay, this could be hackable, there could be 51% of the network taken over by somebody using a quantum computer, which at this point it's only Google and it's protected. You can't hack into it because it's a quantum computer. Um, It's this weird arms race where if it gets to the point where it seems like it could be utilized to hack the network, I think, um, I think the the Bitcoin community would be able to quickly pivot to uh, incorporate that into the blockchain. I don't think it's an issue yet, though. But I think it, it could become an issue soon. I mean, you get an actor like China that has access to it, then it's a completely different story. And China or Russia or whatever might already have a quantum computer. We have no idea. You don't think that that would be a game over scenario for cryptocurrency? <clears throat> for Bitcoin? Yeah, it could be. I mean, the thing is, is like somebody might have a quantum computer. And if they do, we probably don't know about it. Um and it could potentially right now be a game over um, for Bitcoin. It absolutely could. Damn. <laughs> but Bitcoin, I mean, Bitcoin hasn't been hacked before, but certainly a ton of exchanges have and millions of Bitcoin have been stolen. You know, it's definitely, it's not to say it couldn't recover from it. Like, yeah, Bitcoin right now could get totally screwed, but the technology would still be there. You would put out some kind of fork. I don't know if it'd be Bitcoin or what, but you'd make it quantum tolerant. Um, somebody would come off with hundreds of billions of dollars and it would pro- the confidence in it would probably be lost. Right. That's kind of what I mean. Like if somebody actually pulled off a quantum hack, which just sounds yeah. funny to say, um, somebody pulls off a quantum hack, somehow steals everybody's Bitcoin or is able to counterfeit Bitcoin, something like that. Um, yeah. It just seems like if people, whatever <laughs> doubt people had in Bitcoin to begin with mm-hmm. is going to be solidified or just whatever doubts people had in blockchain. Well, yeah, so it's an interesting argument because if you used a quantum computer to do that, then the value of Bitcoin would be go to zero and what, everything you just did wouldn't be worth anything. So it almost has this weird tolerance where you're not necessarily incentivized to do that. You would have to do it in a way subtle enough to siphon it off without people knowing. And I mean, it's, a, it's an exotic idea, but it potentially could be going on right now. We have no idea. Ooh, or if not, if not subtle, um, just really fast. 
like you would grab everybody's Bitcoin, turn it into cash, have it wired to your secret bank account. And then <clears throat> you couldn't turn it into cash though, because if you grabbed everybody's Bitcoin, everybody would know and there'd be nobody available to buy all your Bitcoin. And I just, I don't, I don't think you would be able, by the time that you did that, it would be such a massive movement. You'd have to do it in a really interesting way. And I don't think you could do it in such a way that it wouldn't be noticed. And if it was noticed, and Bitcoin was hacked and the blockchain was seen to be unstable, then you wouldn't be able to sell Bitcoin because the price would immediately go to zero. So it's a- All right, well, hold on. Let, let's, let, let, let's neuromancer this a bit, Stevie. Um, yeah. if I, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm some dumbass. I don't know anything about computers, but I am a crazy rich billionaire. All right, I'm oil mm -hmm. rich. And now mm -hmm. oil is oil's going out of style. So um, I'm going to hire you, crazy Bitcoin hacker man, to yeah. use this quantum computer I bought off some Russian um to steal all the bitcoin in the world how would you yeah. how do you think you'd go about doing that i don't know man i don't really understand how a quantum computer would break bitcoin i just know that it could i mean i know that you could go through <clears throat> and solve you could basically go and mine all the remaining bitcoin but so you would go there you would use the quantum computer to start mining bitcoin um, and, but as soon as you started doing that, I feel like the, the more you do, the price of it will just start going down. Well, but would there be any way then, what about counterfeit Bitcoin? No, because what would a, what would a counterfeit Bitcoin be? A Bitcoin is only uh, an agreed upon amount of value that's logged on the blockchain as belonging to you and not being spent in two places. So to counterfeit the to counterfeit a Bitcoin, you would effectively have to surpass the verification happening by the miners controlling 51% of the network and verifying the transactions. And to do so, you would require quantum computing, require so much computing power that that's effectively how you would hack Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's, there's no counterfeiting Bitcoin. There's hacking it in terms of like trying to suppress it and mine a bunch of bitcoin um i don't know i don't know how it works out i don't know how much computing power that takes. so you can't you can't really counterfeit a bitcoin though it's just information it's it would be impossible in your opinion even with a quantum computer to figure out a way to counterfeit a bitcoin at least long enough to to grab some cash and leave no it would be, I mean, if you talk about counterfeiting a Bitcoin, you're talking about hacking the Bitcoin network, basically. Yes. You can't create like a fake Bitcoin. Um, you could get some cash. I just think the, the amount of computing power you would need to control 51% of this most secure, largest network of all time, in addition to using a quantum computer, it just wouldn't be worth it. And you would be able to see like which wallets it was coming from and potentially trace which country it's coming from. Like the thing about Bitcoin is it's really not that anonymous. Like you can really narrow down which wallet address did what at what time and it's all logged. Um, so I think that if, if I had a quantum computer, I wouldn't be using it to try and hack Bitcoin. <laughs> I'd be using it but as a state. I would be using it uh, to break encryption and to, you know, be spying on my enemies and stuff. And it wouldn't be worth showing my hand to try and get Bitcoin because, yeah, Bitcoin's worth hundreds of billions of dollars. But being able to break encryption without people knowing as a state is worth a lot more than that. Um, 
Yeah, but I'm a crazy Texas oil baron who's just paid you like $2 billion to steal all the Bitcoin with this quantum computer I have. I guess. You're telling me to do better things? Why? <laughs> I just think that you couldn't do anything with it. I think that people would know that the Bitcoin network had been hacked and by the time it did, it would go to zero. So there's like, there's an automatic tolerance built in there where there's what? the incentive well, would be there. What would stop you from creating a bunch of sock accounts? What do you mean? Like create a bunch of um, uh, fake a, a bunch of bots. Yeah, a bunch of bots and fake wallets, basically, so that you think it's just a bunch of people buying into Bitcoin, but it's actually just one person. You, uh, I guess you could. The thing is, is to what you would use a quantum computer for is to either take control of the Bitcoin network and say okay well, these are the rules now i'm changing this because like there's a, a network in bitcoin where um you have to agree upon like what the network is doing so it's like called like a 5150 attack or something mm-hmm. um and so you could change the rules of the network and make them in your favor or make them all go to your every transaction goes to your wallet or whatever um <clears throat> but the only thing you could do would be change change the rules of the network or use the quantum computer to mine bitcoin um which potentially you could do i mean if you had a quantum computer you could mine bitcoin well we talked about the happening what was um how many bitcoins are left now i'm not sure actually i want to say there's like i need to look that up i want to say there's like eight million out there in circulation or eight million in mind i don't know I know that there's 21 million total. I'm not sure okay. how many have been mined yet. But by the time we get to the last, the last bitcoins, is there any? Do you know if there's any um, any projection on how long that's going to take? I, I think it's going to take a while. So there's there's 2.5 million bitcoins left to be mined. There's 18 million in existence. There's 900 new ones a day. 87% of Bitcoins have been issued. Um, just looking at like buybitcoinworldwide.com. So, but, so that's why it's meant to become deflationary. I want to say it's going to take like another, I don't know, 50 years or 100 years or something for them all to be mined. Because it, as it becomes more and more difficult, it's going to become very, very difficult to, to create a new Bitcoin. Hmm. But you can look at the projection. I think that it depends on how many people are mining. You know, if the demand for Bitcoin goes up, people will continue mining. Um, All right. What what about this? Could we use a could we use a quantum computer to start our own cryptocurrency? Yeah, I'm not sure how you'd use it though. And then have the have something have something built inside some poison pill that <clears throat> sends all of the sends all of the cryptocurrency back to the uh, back to one location once it's accumulated enough cash value <laughs> something like that. Yeah, you could. Um, the the thing is though, is because like the code is distributed, you would have to have some secret backdoor in there that was unbreakable unless you had the quantum computer or the key or whatever. And okay. since the code is open source, developers would be able to see, well, what's this weird backdoor in here? It shouldn't be here. Nobody can get in. And then they'd be like, well, fuck that. It looks like just some like parachute at the end. I'm not going to participate in this. So anybody that was able to understand that idea wouldn't participate in the network. 
Uh, yeah, unless there's some way to hide it. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure, <clears throat> sure there's in theory some way to do it, but it doesn't appear to me with my limited knowledge that that exists. And again, some of the smartest people, some of the best developers in the world working on this thing haven't found anything. So you're kind of deferring to the consensus. <laughs> but that's what Bitcoin is. It's a, you know, this whole thing is a distributed trustless consensus protocol. It establishes consensus. Uh, well, you may have killed my quantum hacker dreams then, Stevie. I don't know, man. If you can get a quantum computer, I'm pretty sure you can hack Bitcoin. Like, I think that technically Google, if they have a quantum computer, could hack Bitcoin right now. Like, I don't think they would, but I, I think they could. I mean, what's funny is that really, if you if you had a quantum uh, computer, um, there's probably all kinds of ways that you could make money without hacking cryptocurrency. But it's kind of what I'm thinking. I mean, if if you have a quantum computer, you could create unbelievably sophisticated uh, deep learning neural networks, um, which is probably what they're using it for, uh, which brings all kinds of crazy sci-fi implications, mm -hmm. research implications and stuff, which is more valuable, I think, than the total value of all Bitcoins, which is in the hundreds of dollars. But and it, the encryption of information and stuff as a state, if you could crack every trade secret or whatever, like China wanted to and... Right use that to develop, you know, things that haven't even been patented yet. There's much more value. And that's like entire swaths of the economy. Because um, just to go back to what we were talking about earlier, if, yeah. if you wanted to destroy cryptocurrency, though. Oh, I do. You could. <laughs> but if you wanted to destroy cryptocurrency, like, I was, like we were talking about earlier, uh, yeah. some kind of quantum hack, some big hack. That would of be the Bitcoin. way to do it. That would be the way to do it. So you could at least. It would be the most legendary hack of all time. Uh, okay. But so keep this in mind, is, Bitcoin right. is the most, it's not only the most secure um, computer network that's ever been created, but it's also probably the, it's arguably the most valuable. Like the right. network itself could be more valuable than even the network that Facebook or Amazon has created, just in the technology itself, beyond the value of Bitcoin. Now I see. So how about this then? Back, back to our um, Texas oil billionaires paying you to um, uh, use uh, his his private quantum computer to uh, mm. steal Bitcoin. Maybe the move then is, is that you use the quantum computer to destroy Bitcoin, destroy cryptocurrency. And then where do yeah. you think that the market would go? Would go back into gold? Well, that... <clears throat> That money is erased, so people lose. People have already traded dollars for it, and then Bitcoin goes to zero. Like the the money that people had in Bitcoin would be effectively gone. In terms of where people start putting your money, you mean like where do people start parking their cash and not right. putting it in stuff? Uh, I guess back, goes back to gold and silver, right? I mean, I don't know what percentage of gold and silver. I think that people that own gold and silver already are in it. Maybe some people have some diversification where they've taken some out. But yeah, the thing is, is people would lose so much money that it's tough to say what that goes into. Like it, I think that the people that already want to own gold and silver would own it. Um, I don't know. It goes back into the economy somewhere. Uh, people either hold it in cash, they put it in the stock market or they put it into some other kind of investment. Gold and silver would be a logical 
I mean, that's basically been the safe haven up until Bitcoin. There's no other option. So yeah, I think gold and silver. Maybe you destroy Bitcoin and then you immediately already have come out with a new cryptocurrency that's supposed to be quantum hack proof and everybody grabs that. <clears throat> yeah, that'd be a good marketing and PR stunt. There are, so like Qtom and like some different ones, there's quantum tolerant or whatever you want to call it, cryptocurrency. I wonder if you use, I mean, somebody like Google, this weird benevolent dictator would use the quantum computer to create a new one and just be like, we could hack Bitcoin at any time, but we're not going to. And then everybody takes the money out of Bitcoin and puts it into them. There's nothing to say a, a private company couldn't create something like this. I mean, Facebook tried to create Libra and it's been, had a ton of regulatory hurdles and stuff, but in the right environment, in the right country, uh, a private corporation that's big enough and powerful enough um, could easily do that. And if they had a quantum computer, just be like, no, we're going to verify all the transactions on the network. And they're all going to be so difficult to crack that nobody could ever hack it. Nobody could verify them except for us because we're the only one that has the, compu the computing power to do so. Which hmm. um, it, it applies to a lot of things. It becomes this quantum arms race. I just think there's better things to do with it. I think that... Uh, I don't want to do better things. I just want to steal all the Bitcoin in the world. Well, there's more valuable uses of your time. Like it's more, there's, there's a higher return and there's more money to be made for whatever Google's doing. I'm, sure. I'm a Texas oil billionaire and I'm tired of these left coast weirdo fruitcakes <laughs> making all this computer money and I want all the computer <laughs> money. Yeah. I mean, who knows, dude? I mean, there's, there's no way you can say that Shitoshi Nakamoto isn't somebody hired by exactly what you're talking about. The thing is, is we, to this day, we have no idea who it is. It could be, it could be anybody. It could be the government. It could be some random computer hacker, you know, cypherpunk guy. Yeah, I, I think that's what it is. I think it's just some guy or some small group of people. What if um, it's but, literally, what if it's literally just a Japanese guy uh, name? Named. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> Did you see when that happened? They just, they like, they just found him at his house. Yeah. 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 And his name was literally Satoshi Nakamoto. Mm -hmm. and he was just some dude. And <laughs> He was just doing a little Zen gardening in Japan and yeah. he got this idea to, for, for a new cool program. Yeah. Satoshi Nakamoto means something. It's some, there's some significance to it. I think it's two names put together. But then didn't he, isn't the rumor that he made sure to own 51% of the Bitcoin or something like that? Like he's sitting on most of the, the Bitcoin that exists. No, he mined a lot in the beginning. I mean, he, he's, he's sitting on billions of it, but he doesn't own 51% of it. He definitely I see. Um, created it in a way so that the network would own it. Oh, I Otherwise, you just have this, uh, you know, centralized power. It goes against the idea of it. I, I, um, uh, I forgot I wanted to ask you this. Is there any way of knowing for sure that there's only 21 million Bitcoins or whatever, whatever the official <sighs> number is? Yeah, I mean, again, you kind of just uh, defer to the network of people who understand it better than I do. <laughs> um, but it's like you use a credit card and you have no idea how that works. Right. If there was some way to create more than 21 billion Bitcoin, we'd, somebody would know about it and it would be out. There's no way to keep that information hidden. And as of right now, nobody's found anything. The code itself is fairly simple that runs the thing. All right, let's get into more wild speculation because okay. if if there's such a thing as quantum hacking, then could there mm -hmm. be forms of quantum encryption? 
Yeah, I mean, all encryption in the future will have to be quantum resistant. Wow, what an amazing sentence that was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's true or if it makes sense. It sounds good to me. Yeah. Because uh, uh, if you think about what encryption is, it's just a lock that slows it down that you need resources to unlock. It's, you know, it's not impossible. And so you just assume that <clears throat> there's enough resources to justify the fact that um, it would take too long or be too difficult or too resource heavy, then it's going to de- de- defer somebody from being able to do it. But what, I, but what I'm getting at is, could something be quantum encrypted? And could it be quantum encrypted in a way that um, even a whole network of experts uh, wouldn't be able to see it? Uh, I don't know. No, you'd have to ha- I mean, you'd have to have these exotic, like, self-referential codes within codes hidden. And you just, I can't see it. So then, but that's what I'm saying. What if you uh, can see what the encryption you can you can see like the level of encryption it's encrypted to. You 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 can't see through the encryption, but you you can see how much encryption is there. Is that maybe a way to put it? There's you have like a, a public key and a private key, and so the public key is like the things that you share, and then there's a private key, so you can only access your secret if you have both so it's like somebody can have a public key and that might be known but only you have the private key so you have to have both of these to open like a lock within a lock i'm just you can uh, see how it's built like you can see that it's built of a certain amount of bits and the way that quantum computing works i think it fundamentally works encryption wise in a different way and i don't even know what quantum encryption would look like i just know you could have the computing power of a quantum computer to break normal encryption that would take you know thousands of years to break a quantum computer could do it in like a day or something so then what if what if bitcoin was actually sent from the future Mm -hmm. and it's just been quantumly encrypted in such a way that when we get to the end of the when we mine the last bitcoin when we get to the end it'll form some kind of time loop and then we find out who's backwards yeah i think that's what's gonna happen I think that's probably the thing. And so I, I looked it up. The last Bitcoin is supposed to be mined in 2140. Um, what? Yeah. Who knows? As a, ne- as a next century? Yeah. By then, oh. the price of Bitcoin will be worth, who knows? Yeah, either Bitcoin will be completely irrelevant or like in t- the entire future um, techno-feudalist society will be built on Bitcoin fortunes. And it's just, it won't be... I don't know what the reference point will be because Bitcoin won't be measured in dollars anymore. It'll yeah, dude, just so be... it'll just be Bitcoin. Satoshi is actually the the god emperor of the future. Who it's the has, mark of the beast, yeah. Who has sent this back in time so mm-hmm. that by 2140, he, he's the emperor and can send it back in time. Yeah, I think when the last Bitcoin's mined and we use some kind of exotic super future quantum supercomputer the size of like an entire planet... Um, at that point, it'll, it'll take so much processing power that it'll actually crash the simulation and will blur into the parallel dimension where time runs backwards and it, everything will just stop. It'll just freeze. Or we find out that we've been in the backwards dimension the entire time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's only like a reference point. Like we just happen to be in the present moving away from the past towards the future and that's totally arbitrary. Like we could be in the future, we could be in the present, moving away from the future towards the past. Supposedly, scientists have found some evidence that 
there is a parallel dimension where time runs backwards and negative, positive, and up is down. So, fuck that. <laughs> um, it's like, just like you can be anywhere in space, you can be any when in time. And we just happen to be in the present moving towards the future. But it's an arbitrary law of the universe. I, I, I was going to talk about how value and, and time are related to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's how it's been in uh, classic economics. And then when you start talking about creating some kind of um, quantum currency that Mm-hmm. how how does the value how does the time become compressed into value so that it's something that humans could actually have a transaction with doesn't well you gotta make, read the doesn't I Ching make any sense you, read the I yeah. Ching. <laughs> you have an i ching coin that uh, that exists outside of time well time is the ultimate finite resource like you can never ever have more time so well that's what we if- thought until we re- found out that there's particles running backwards in which case, can we make some kind of um, uh, <laughs> quantum backwards uh, crypto coin? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I still think that time is a finite quantity because even if you're in backwards universe, um, there's only so much time. It's like a, a physical construct. It's tied to space, and it just but it's just upside down. It's moving towards the past. Oh, but... I mean, okay, but if you, if if time is running forwards and backwards at the same time, yeah, then then it's not finite anymore. It's a giant. It's an endless loop. Doesn't it have to be? I guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends. If you think the universe is infinite, then I guess if space is infinite, the time is infinite. But I don't know. It's above my pay grade. <laughs> I just try to buy a little Bitcoin every Friday. <laughs> uh-huh. I I you know I actually my my deal's been Litecoin um obviously that i don't un- cool. yeah i don't uh I, I don't really understand the techniques of how any of this stuff works um as yeah. i've as this conversation has helped me realize um but i don't know yeah litecoin gets attractive as there's a lower entry point so just the price of a bitcoin psychologically i think people don't realize you can buy like a dollar of bitcoin like it can be split up into smaller portions called shitoshis Right. And so as Bitcoin starts to run, I mean, Litecoin should move proportionally to it. It's designed to be the silver to Bitcoin's gold. Mm-hmm. Um, but Litecoin was envisioned to be the, the more easy to use, faster to transact, lower priced, more lightweight Bitcoin. And that was when I think it was the first fork actually that came off of Bitcoin um, to solve the idea of like, okay, how am I ever going to use this to buy a cup of coffee? It's interesting though. The guy that the guy behind Litecoin, Charlie Lee or whatever his name is, is super, super cool and super smart. And he has a lot of really interesting ideas for such a simple concept as Litecoin now versus all the exotic stuff that's out there. He had the wherewithal to actually see a future where the the value of a cryptocurrency would need to have the network effect value of people being able to use it. And so as a store of value, uh, Bitcoin's great, but in terms of being able to use it and transact with it, buy a cup of coffee and actually have a demand for it day to day, um, really early on, he was able to see that you need to create a more lightweight version of it. Um, uh, is there any, is there any crypto or any altcoin, uh, that's not Litecoin, that's not Bitcoin that you think is promising? 
Uh, yeah, I really like Stellar Lumens. Um, XLM Stellar Foundation is a nonprofit, um, and they, they function kind of like uh, Ripple XRP, but in a decentralized fashion. And they're focusing <clears throat> on um, taking care of uh, cross-border payments and remittances and all this stuff, which is like an unbelievably massive and very costly currently opportunity. Um, I like Ethereum, obviously. I think that the, the mind behind that, Vitalik Buterin, is like a genius. He's this like wonder kid. Um, and that, again, that's kind of like the operating system of, um, of the, the cryptocurrency ethos. You can build smart contracts. You can build apps on top of it. It can be used as currency. And what you need to use this transact to, to, to build apps and use the apps and use the processing power. Ethereum, Bitcoin... I auto buy it every Friday. I just totally take the emotion out of it. Um, and I just, I don't think about it. I just try to dollar cost average in. I have a little bit of ripple just to try and hedge my bets a little bit, I guess. Spank Whoa. chain is really cool. One of my friend's projects that they're using to pay cam girl and stuff and democratize the cam girl industry. <laughs> well, see that, um, What's it called? Spank chain? Spank chain, yeah. See, now, you combine spank chain somehow with the Steam model we talked about earlier, and that might we might be getting closer to making my... with it or what? Well, because remember, my, my ultimate goal is to make some kind of um, emotional labor-based uh, cryptocurrency. Yeah. I feel like so you that, need to have that like an orgasm-based currency. I see. I don't know how you yeah. collect the orgasms, though. Well, you'd have like a, a sensory kind of thing tapped into it. Yeah. Oh, so instead of being a miner, you'd be a, um, what would you a want milker. to call it? A milker? A oh, milker. Yeah. yeah. We both yeah, thought that be... up at the same time. Yeah, so it's definitely, you sign up to be a milker and you got to get uh -huh. some kind of equipment to um, uh, to connect with your, how's it going to record the, the actual orgasm though? Stimulus. You have like a brain computer interface or you have like um you're going to have like a thing that like goes up your butt and like registers like the pulse of, of the prostate. Oh, um, I see. Well, this so is so pretty yeah. complicated. We're, we're definitely still working on it, but definitely some, you know, from our initial <laughs> tests, definitely some kind of some promising early results. I'll say that. <laughs> mil mil milkman, milkman coin. Yeah. <laughs> um, prostate milk coin. Uh, Spank Chain is really cool. It's the the tech behind it is really good. Obviously, these are my friends, so I'm biased. I don't own any, um, but I would. I'd buy some of that um, in the future if I was speculatively buying stuff. Um, there's some pretty interesting design. There's it, there's interesting implications too for like um, the dangers of the porn industry, how it disproportionately affects like um, the trans community and the gay community, and like how there's a lot of performers and, and obviously the sex worker community at large, but they just get screwed. Cause like a lot of times like bank accounts, like won't let them like yeah. deposit, you know? So like they're really kind of exploited by these processors that are really fucked up. So it's trying to <clears throat> take care of them. And then I don't know if there's any like anonymity concerns or anything when I'm doing it, but 
Yeah, I mean, if you look at what's propelled most technology, it's been either porn or defense. So I would propose that once they figure out the porn side of it, there's huge well, use cases. And then you also want to consider, is there any defense implications or use cases for crypto or blockchain? Uh, right. So li life drive and death drive are the <laughs> two factors in the human economy. Who knows? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, survival instinct. Uh, but that's uh, the, the idea of building a, a crypto around um, sex workers specifically is interesting because then it just raises the um, the question or the idea that, you know, can every one of these individual uh, communities now have their own blockchain? I think we'll call There more people accept it. I think there's room for a large, not a lot, but there's room for a handful of large crypto cryptocurrencies with different use cases. And potentially there might be room for a huge number of smaller ones that have really specific use cases, but um, just happen to be doing it really well. Like if there's sex worker coin, can there be incel coin? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> And there needs to be. <laughs> Could they be combined together to help me on my quest to make an emotional labor-based coin? Uh, yeah. Well, that's reassuring. I mean, it's not, if you're an incel, the thing is you have nothing else to do. So you can only <laughs> jerk off so many, so many hours per day, which I yeah, think but, is where a lot of the great tech projects came from historically. But if you're, if you're, a, if you're a milker, and you're connected to Milkcoin, then those insoles could be making a lot of money. Yeah, it's tough. You know, if you're just getting milked all day, it's tough to build any new technology. So again, there's that kind of self-regulating catch-22. Oh, I see. It's basically like a quantum computer. It's called the quantum prostate uh, <clears throat> hypothesis, and it's complicated, <laughs> but I mean, you could look into it. Uh, I think we're just going to end it on, on quantum prostate. I don't think we're going to beat that. Okay. That works for me. All right, Stevie. There's, that's, that's the, there's nothing beyond that. Like once you reach that point. That's the final red pill. Too. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to go get drunk and go surfing. All right. Well, thanks. <laughs> thanks for stopping by. Thanks, buddy. See ya. All right. Bye.